Hi, everybody. So glad to see everyone on today. Happy Tuesday. Um, so while everyone is jumping in this morning, um, don't forget to say hi, by the way. It, we love hearing from you and we like for you to say hello and drop in and because we can only see so many faces on the screen. Hey, Carmen, good to see you again. Linda, good to see ya. Um, so just as a quick reminder, go ahead and if you're not already on mute, put yourself on mute. And then we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna get going. I've got a really special treat for you today. Um, Dr. Greg Eckel is with us and he is out of the West Coast um, and he has an amazing story. He and I have been connected in the last year and uh, we have been very excited to be on each other's podcasts um, and even on each other's summits because we both have a passion in the field of mental health disorders and neurodegenerative disease. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit about, about Dr. Eckel so that you know how special and awesome that this guy is. I absolutely love you, Dr. Eckel. Um, he's been in practice for over 20 years, um, and he developed his passion for working with brain-related disorders after his wife, Soraya, passed from Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which is a neurological type of disorder. Um, and, you know, at the time, and I'm going to let him, you know, tell a little bit of the story um, so that he can give you some background, but, you know, they weren't able to help her. Um, and, and so he, you know, he wants, just like, just like I do, he wants to help people we know that there are, are a lot of answers and there are a lot of solutions. And we know that there are a lot of things that we can do to prevent in the first place as well. And so, you know, welcome Dr. Greg. Thank you for being on with us. Um, I know that we're gonna inspire so many people today. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, awesome. Um, so I'm thinking, that I'm thinking we should share with everybody. Um, I would love for you to share a little bit about your story sure. so that people can really understand, you know, the depth of, of your passion to do this type of work like, you know, like I do. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, as you mentioned, I've been in practice for 20 years. I have Nature Cures Clinic in Portland, Oregon. It's a very uh, well-established integrative medical clinic. Uh, been around since then. Uh, so it's kind of like the old school integrative providers, right? Um, and I was practicing, uh, my wife Soraya was there. She was a certified nurse midwife, nurse practitioner. Um, and, you know, it, I had a very, um, you know, family-centered practice, and really what my experience over the last four years has been is really put me into uh, neurodegeneration and brain health and longevity as focus areas. So, you know, what turned out to, from, um, you know, Soraya started to develop uh, some memory issues, right? She's, you know, early 40s, and we're thinking, oh, this was, uh, you know, maybe it's perimenopause or okay, it wasn't hormones. Well, maybe it's molds. No, it wasn't molds. So we kept going down the rabbit hole. And so I know firsthand what it's like to go through the system with a loved one. Um, 
you know, it, it, we, I knew it was fractionated. I knew it was, you know, a piecemeal approach, but to really experience it firsthand is, it's heartbreaking, it's overwhelming, and I know it can be very isolating, right? I, so I, you know, I took it upon myself as loving husband and physician. Uh, I swung for the fence. I was looking for some solutions. So, you know, I took her around, um, we went to the Amen clinics and got a brain scan, um, which kind of confirmed what we thought. Maybe it was like PTSD triggering memory loss. So post-traumatic stress disorder, she had a lot of trauma growing up and uh, seemed plausible. Uh, so we started going down those routes, but it just progressed so quickly. Uh, Critzfield Jacob, I knew I had never seen anything like it in the 20 years, or well, at that point, 17 years that I had been in practice. And, um, you know, I went to see the Western providers and um, the psychiatrists and psychologists, and they're basically saying, oh, well, this is a psychotic break. I'm like, they're, no, this is not a psychotic break. This was a highly functioning provider at the top of her game and in within two months uh, became not able to communicate you know it was a rapidly progressing dementia so as you can imagine I went through all of the differentials and you know we worked up thousands of dollars of a workup to discover you know it's a very rare condition so it wasn't really high on the differential list uh, you know, one in a million people get this condition. It's mad cow syndrome and cows are uh, scrappy and sheep. It's on prion. So I'm a world expert on prionic activity of uh, neurodegeneration. Um, so, you know, went through it. Um, unfortunately, what I found did not help Soraya, uh, but the, what I'm calling Soraya's gifts of what I'm sharing, kind of turning my personal tragedy into a win for thousands of people is, you know, uh, all of these different techniques that I discovered for her from, you know, regenerative stem cell therapies, neuropeptides, IV therapy, hyperbaric oxygen. We can talk about all of those things today um, because it is my purpose and passion. And it's really, you know, after going through it, I knew the system was fractionated. I see patients over that amount of time, but to go through it firsthand, you realize, you know, it is, it's really broken. And, you know, so I'm basically putting the flag in the ground and taking a stand for people's health and really in the neurodegeneration, brain health, longevity spheres, those are the areas that I'm really lit up about. I've learned tons about, I've got firsthand experience going through it and that's what I'm sharing with, with you all today. Uh, and you know, in general with the world. You know, what came out of that, I wrote a book called Shake It Off, an integrative approach to Parkinson's solutions. Um, I have a monthly Parkinson's summit, a one-day summit. I just hosted the Brain Degeneration Summit with interviewed 33 world experts, including yourself on that, uh, on different aspects of brain health. And so I'm, you know, there's so much to do. This is an area that hasn't really, the, the needle has not moved in 200 years for folks with brain disorders and uh, neurodegeneration in general. And I'm just looking to make a difference, um, accelerate that path and really get the word out to folks that, you know, there are one really bright people uh, doing research and helping. And two, there is a lot of hope. And there are a lot of things that maybe you haven't tried that um, because your conventional providers are not tuned into it. You know, they're kind of just stuck in their box. And we're really thinking outside of the box because we see we treat whole dynamic heart centered people, not just pieces and parts. 
And you know, I like what, so many of the things that you say are just so poignant. One of the things that I think that people are starting to wake up to and realize is that science is evolving, right? Which is saying that, you know, what we believed to be true, you know, um, you know, through scientific methodologies 30, 40 years ago, it doesn't mean that they hold true today because we have advances in technology and we've had advances in medicine. Yet our model of medicine, it's, um, I mean, we'll call it, we'll just call it what it is. I mean, especially in the field of mental health and neurodegenerative disease, it's, it's failing. It's not, it's not a solid model. It's not an evidence-based model. Um, and, um, and so, you know, people like, like you and I, we are, we are using the new evidence-based model so that we actually, you know, can help people. And, and for those of you listening, I mean, you know, this is, this is cutting edge and, and this is where medicine is moving. And because of what's going on right now around the world, this is a silver lining for humanity because the model has to change. The model is broken. The model is outdated, not just in the field of mental health. Um, and we need to start looking at things that do work. And we need to start understanding, especially when it comes to mental health issues, uh, neurodegenerative disease, that, that there are models that, um, you know, that are working that really need to become mainstream. Wouldn't you agree? I think it's, it's incredible, even in the time right now of COVID, right? When you look at who's most at risk, it's folks that have comorbidities. Why are we not talking about that in the mainstream media? Why isn't that a discussion of like, hey, now more than ever, it's time to take care of your health. Like it's time to raise all of our health and our vibrations and our, just our, our vigor and, uh, you know, just basically our vitality needs to increase. This is very telling this day and age of like, oh, we have a very sick disease population. Like we have a diseased care mo model that need, it's broken. It's, it's time to replace it. Like now more than ever, it is way evident that it's time to really address underlying root causes. We can no longer survive. You're seeing it. Like people, you just can't treat your symptoms the way you've been brought up to do it right so that's i love that you know you're kind of giving me chills when you when you put that out there uh doc in that it really is time like it is now more than ever it's evident like we need to really address underlying root causes to get people's health back and i'm here to say like i leave the door open all the time you know you learn in medical school you're not supposed to say cure like i don't cure anything right and i actually i do say that i say you know i actually do a lot of nothing all day it's the person's body and the medicines that really puts it together yes i can cheerlead i can hold space yes i've been on it with thousands of folks so we can really hold the space and and the vision and the possibility for folks but ultimately it's it's your viewers and listeners that are doing the work right they got to trust the process they got to trust in the provider um, and then they got to trust themselves most importantly that they can actually do it it doesn't matter if they've tried a bunch of times in the past and failed it that's all in the past that doesn't exist anymore and so there are new paths there are we're living at an amazing time for medicine and with information evidence-based and 
and research-based, and then clinical evidence for that matter. Um, you know, so I always leave the door open for people healing. Uh, I don't claim 100% cure, but uh, however, we do see a lot of spontaneous remissions of things that shouldn't uh, turn around, turn around, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, something, I started thinking about something as you were talking. And so I just kind of want to like turn the corner really quick um, yeah. and, and go in this direction. But we spend a lot of time as holistic practitioners and functional medicine practitioners teaching people, you either pay for your health now or you're going to pay for your sickness later. Right now, We've seen a lot of people, you know, who have become ill with that cytokine storm and that massive inflammation in their lungs being treated completely the wrong way, by the way. Um, now doctors have finally figured out that their treatment for the um, lung issues uh, was the wrong treatment. It was, in fact, killing people faster. Um, and it was at a very, very high cost to the, to the system as well because it was like, what, $13,000 to the hospital as soon as they diagnosed COVID. And then how much, I don't remember how many thousands to put them on the respiratory machine that, you know, I ha actually have had doctors and nurses who are on the front lines texting me and saying, the patients are dying. Like we're putting them on these machines and they're dying. And now they're realizing that, um, that, you know, the, the uh, HCQ, you know, combined with some zinc, some vitamin C, that these types of things are actually working. And so, you know, it sounds harsh, but this is a perfect example of what we've all been talking about. You either pay for your health or you're going to pay for your sickness. And a lot of these people, not only did they pay for their sickness with a whole bunch of money that, you know, somebody's paying for this, right? Thousands of dollars, but they ended up paying for it with their death. Um, modern medicine is amazing right? I mean, modern medicine is great if it's used in the right capacity. And right now, we're actually seeing doctors go back to their training and understand looking at uh, the actual physiology and how the body works and understanding that, oh my gosh, zinc is going to help with this. Vitamin C prevents viral replication. And if we add a little bit of this pharmaceutical HCQ to the mix, wow, it makes, those, it makes these natural things work like 10 times better, right? That's how I think that modern medicine should be working. Like there's a time and a place for everything. And so, and so uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know I kind of went off on this other, uh, other uh, you know, I went down this other road, but it was because of, of something that you said. Well, uh, and it's true. Like that component is, it's integrative care. It's true integrative care. It's where East meets West naturally, right? So putting all of the systems together gets you the best healthcare on the planet. But when it's one excluding the other, especially in an acute situation and such a and dire situation for so many people where there is research. Now we have small cohorts coming out of China and out of Germany showing this integrative approach was actually far superior. One note on that I wanted to mention, there was a study on the 1917-18 Spanish flu, uh, I think 2007 or nine, out of Yale University and the researcher there showed one of the one of the reasons why that was such a deadly flu was it was the advent of aspirin. And they were using aspirin, just like in the protocols today, they are, they are, they are squelching fevers like 
24-7, when you get into the hospital, they just basically put you on ibuprofen um, and Tylenol and basically squelch the fever. Well, what, they, what this researcher showed from Yale was that it was a 20 percent death rate in 1917-18 and but the natural providers of the time had a one to two percent death rate because they knew how to manage fevers naturally and you look at um you know one of the statements that i want to make is like the war is over against bugs like i don't like the war analogies and and it, guess what? It's us. So like to manage your fever, the fever is the cure. It's how your body heals itself. So many people don't, they think, oh, the fever is bad. We need to, we need to get rid of the fever. There's no evidence to support that fevers are bad. That is a misnomer and really miseducation by the medical system. Uh, yes, you feel like death. I mean, I, you know, in 2000, I had the flu and I had 104 fever. It feels like a truck hit you, right? It does not feel good. However, once you let it go and you manage that properly, and I'm not suggesting to your listeners or viewers to just go go to 104 fever like that. You want to be medically managed by a provider that knows what they're doing and how to help support your body in its healing process. But you cannot suppress the symptoms. What has happened so far, and this is across the board, and maybe it's more of a, a meta discussion around suppression, suppression of symptoms, suppression of anything really is not a good thing. Um, you know, you look at all also, I'll kind of ramble since you we went down that rabbit hole. Um, they're showing, the, you know, the cytokine storm. That's the piece that really um, is affecting folks with the body's response to illness, right? So one, we're suppressing the body's first line of defense with fever. Then it mounts up this other attack and it overwhelms, right? The, la the language is so sensational in the media. It overwhelms the system. Well, what we're finding is the folks that have an imbalanced, uh, basically cellular to humoral immunity or cell versus antibody uh, response, they're deficient in vitamin D. We know in North America, 70% of people minimally are deficient in vitamin D. So this is like common knowledge in integrative natural health care that everybody should get their vitamin D checked. And right now I'm just presumptively treating people as if they were deficient in it because of this information coming out. You know, so there are, um, you know, there's these little clues or little strings from the past in history that we just need to listen and learn from them and not get so arrogant in the latest, greatest research. I mean, it's there, right? It's, we know there are these things that we could potentially be making a difference. Now, I'm not claiming cure for COVID, although what we will see in the early data is coming out now from our friends and colleagues in the natural health world of, you know, some clinics have seen 50, others have seen 128 confirmed COVID cases, right? Uh, and having, you know, no hospitalization, no complication, and these are people with comorbidities. So there are ways to manage uh, our health and it, you're right, you either pay for it now or you pay for it later. And so it is a component, like that's the new system, that's the new world emerging as well, is as we get our vitality up, we get our creativity up, then we're able to help way more people with in our communities and your family and in your community and then out in the larger earth. I mean, that's how I see it all kind of unrolling. So there is this kind of almost gift of this pause that we're all experiencing um, for reflection, but also learning and education uh, in venues such as this. 
Yeah, you know, that's so well stated. And I want to jump back into um, fever and just talk about that for a few minutes because, you know, you're so right. People have been taught that the fevers are bad. And uh, the fevers are, in fact, you know, our body, one of our body's very powerful mechanisms of the immune system. We have a lot of different guns in our immune system, so to speak. We've got all different kinds of, we've got the primary, you know, we've got the frontline soldiers, then we've got some back here, then we've got some back here. We've got a lot of different systems in place in our immune system. And our bodies are so powerful. Viruses are not new. Bugs are not new. In fact, we have, and we should talk about this, right? I, I wanna hear from you on this topic about viruses because we have thousands of viruses living in us every day. But yet all of a sudden, because of the sensationalized media, we're like, oh my God, oh my God, there's this killer virus. This is exactly oh it. Yeah, this is exactly my point. The war is over. Like, it's us. We have the viruses come in and they influence our DNA and the way our bodies express themselves. So we've all heard about the microbiome. Well, there's a ton of information coming out around the viral Iome. The, vir the virome is basically what it's called. And they actually are showing these viruses can do quite a lot of good. In particular, in measles, there is really great evidence-based information on folks that had the measles uh, illness as children actually have lower incidence of cancers as they grow older. Now, we don't allow kids to get measles anymore. And so we may see, and I think we are seeing a rise in certain cancers. So because we don't get the childhood illness anymore, right? It was, it's, these are things that we can overcome. Why are 80% of people have mild to no symptoms of this, right? Because they have an adequate response. So it is, maybe we need to look at it a little bit more holistically in that this othering of virus, like we've co-evolved with viruses on the planet. And in fact, it's informed our system. We have receptor sites in our bodies for viruses. Explain that to me, if it's other. This is not some foreign thing. The whole, if you look at the planet as a whole and have the understanding of like whatever you wanna call it, I call it Gaia, it's all one entity. And so if we're, we can't be at war against a piece of ourselves, right? So there are ways, you know, you look at even on allergies, um, you know, with the advent of more uh, the hypoallergenic of you're doing the antibacterial soap. And I think in Japan, this is a big thing, right? Because they've got a ultra kind of microbial phobia and they're showing they have a lot more autoimmune disease because the kids don't play in the dirt anymore they're not exposed to cat and dog dander in the house they're they're just not their immune systems aren't exercised properly <laughs> yeah no that's absolutely true you know the, we have seen a big issue with um with people not having strong immune systems like they used to. And, um, and, you know, if we back up a little bit and we look at the way that we've been approaching so many of these diseases, which have become chronic and rampant in our society, um, you know, we can go back and we need to understand and dissect that as a, well, why are these diseases becoming chronic? Um, and, and a lot of the same 
um, toxins and foods and medications um, and, and, you know, things that, you know, triggers that we're exposed to that are causing all of these chronic diseases are also causing a lot of these immune issues as well. Um, and a lot of these chronic diseases are, in fact, you know, immune, immune-based issues. And so, you know, if we have a different approach um, where we are, where we understand that the body is strong, we don't fight against these things. We work within our ecosystem of the planet that we live in and we make our bodies more resilient, then you know, this would not even this would be completely obsolete. This would not even be happening, right? This just wouldn't even be happening. And so, you know, we really need to take a step back. You know, all of you who are listening to this. If you're not already on the holistic medicine bandwagon, you know, this is this is where you need to be. Come join us, jump on the bandwagon with us because we're gonna show you how your immune system and your body is resilient. Your body can heal, you're not broken, you're not weak, and you certainly don't have to go for a medicine or a surgery for every single thing. And I'm not saying that, again, I am not saying that pharmaceuticals and surgeries are not amazing and, and don't save lives because they absolutely do. However, you know, for, the, for a lot of the chronic diseases that are out there that people are told that they have to live with for the rest of their life, that's BS. It's absolutely not true. Like type two diabetes is one of them, for example, and that is one of the comorbidities that is being, you know, you know, a lot of people that are having that issue are also having like massive, massive reactions with this virus. Their body's not handling it. Their body should be able to handle it. But why can't it handle it? Because they already have a ton of inflammation in their body and they're taking medications that are not healing their diabetes. When type 2 diabetes, we all know that's completely a reversible disease. You do not have to have type 2 diabetes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, where do we go from here? I don't even know what to say next. Well, I guess just to piggyback on that, I mean, I, I'm totally with you. I think that our bodies are amazing and they know how to heal. We just have to remove obstacles to the cure, right? And using symptoms as a... Um, line of inquiry, not something to get rid of, but just grist for the mill to say, yeah, pay attention to me. I'm out of balance. Like that's what they are. Uh, I like the comment here. Floyd put a comment in the, uh, uh, in the chat box. Um, even just talking around, um, you know, self-determination and control of reality, um, by self. So yeah, we are talking on multiple levels when, when we're talking about suppression of symptoms, um, it is, it is very suppressive we're not it's like it's the old patriarchal way of doing things right i think we are swinging back into more of a feminine style of medicine which is listening and following uh and supporting the individual's vitality and you know in naturopathic medicine we have a concept called the vis and it's like the uh, vis and it's like the the inherent energetics of the being and when you when you step into that in a medical realm you can really support the body's ability to heal and truly miraculous results like from somebody with type 2 diabetes of a 14% hemoglobin a1c which is totally outrageous uncontrolled diabetes we can get them back under six and a half percent of hemoglobin A1C. That's a three month window of looking at sugar. So 
in conventional land, you'll, you'll never hear of that. Like basically, you know, I have patients, their endocrinologists have diabetes themselves and they cannot control it. And it's like, why are you going to see that doctor? They can't even control their own diabetes. Like what is going on here? Uh, you know, it's the emperor wears no clothes at this point. And it's becoming more and more evident as we shine the light on it. It's like, I'm with you. I have a DEA license. I can prescribe any drug on the planet. I have an amazing scope of practice in Oregon. Uh, and just at 20 years into practice, I choose not to prescribe a lot of those medications. Occasionally, antibiotics are very appropriate. You have a bug, you take an antibiotic, and it goes away. Not for viruses. The antibiotics don't work for viruses. Pain medications, I don't prescribe those anymore, right? Because they're just, they don't do it. They don't get at the root underlying cause. So I, I'm with you. I'm not, we don't throw the baby out with the bath water. There's some really great things. Like if you have a broken bone, I want you to go to the ER to get your bone fixed. Don't come to see me if you're bleeding out. Like they will save your life. But for chronic illness and for this systemic stuff, they don't really have an answer. Yeah. And, you know, let's talk about chronic illness for a minute because that's so perfectly said. They don't have an answer. Take a look at statistics, guys. I don't have, I wanted to pull something up earlier, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, if you've been on your social media, you've probably seen, you know, people talking about the statistics when you see some people freaking out because they feel like, others are not concerned with the deaths, we're all concerned with the deaths. And especially dying the way that people have been dying is just, it's, it's, it's horrifying, okay? But let's just step back a minute and let's look at the number of deaths that happen every single day and every year, not just in the US, but around the world with these chronic diseases. Nobody even thinks anything of it. People are dying every few seconds from suicide, secondary to some sort of mental health disorder, and nobody bats a freaking eye. What's going on with that? You know, people are dying every day from kidney failure, liver failure. They're dying from Alzheimer's. They're dying from dementia. They're dying from heart disease. You know, people, people, I mean, by the you know, the numbers are just astounding. And I've got all of the statistics. We can always pull them up at some point, you know, not during this call because it would take me five minutes to find them. But I've got all of that. And these chronic diseases are preventable. And not only are they preventable, the majority of them are reversible. And so it's important for us to wake up and see that, right? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, so the I, I totally agree. I mean, it's it, you look at it like cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer, and nobody's up in arms around that. And it's like, well, what? Why all of a sudden? I mean, yes, death in general, and we can talk about death in general too, because one of the basic truths of living is nobody gets out of here alive, right? So I think you know the components that I've seen in in my clinic and in my communities are the two biggies are one the fear of death, and two, the realization that, oh, nobody has control of this thing, it's out of control, right? We're out, like, we have to admit that we are on this small little planet orbiting in this vast universe, right? And, and then acknowledge like, it's out of control. Like, how can it be out of control like this, right? So those are the two, like, that was, I think, why what we saw with like, 
you know, people going out to buy toilet paper and running out of toilet paper in the stores is that's a sense of being overwhelmed and out of control. Like that's what the psychologists are saying. Like people do that. I was thinking maybe it was more Freudian uh, esque of, or Americans are full of shit or something like that. Uh, you know, but we, uh, you know, I, you have to have some humor during this whole thing. Right. Um, and yes. And yet, you know, my grandparents or, you know, elderly parents, like I'm concerned for their health as well. And in the grander scheme, you know, there are where we've got global cli climate change happening now too, which people weren't really woken up to that thing because it's not really now. So when you can see it, it becomes a little bit more apparent of we got to do something now. But the longer term thing is the water has been boiling on us for quite some time. We just haven't realized it. And I, again, like the statement that I keep coming to is like, now more than ever, it's time to take care of your health. Like that's what you have in your control. And you know, the, the aspect of what gets programmed 24 seven is, you know, you need a vaccine. Um, you can't do it alone and we're going to help you. So we're gonna put you into victim role. And so many people in fear and overwhelmed go right, like it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, just tell me what I need to do. And you can see like, gosh, we are not in a great place on this planet if the whole, you know, everything gets shut down in speculation, basically. Uh, and we don't truly, I don't know that we'll ever have, you know, pandemic math. I don't think we'll ever know true numbers of death rates, etc. cetera. Uh, when you look at the testing, we can talk about testing as well. Uh, it, you know, it's fuzzy math at best. So, you know, we're not going to know. Yeah. And being okay with being in unknowingness, like that's the aspect that I've been sharing with folks of like, well, let's look at it. It's very uncomfortable to be an unknowingness. And when you look at a mental health component, it's very hard. You want to have like kind of some grounding and rooting, which you can definitely do, but it's okay to not know. And anybody that says that they do know, I think you should go the other way because they don't. We haven't been through this before. We haven't seen this one before, right? Yeah, so there yeah. is a lot of unknowingness. Yeah. yeah. And, and this presents an opportunity for us to sit down and open our eyes. And, uh, and to realize that, you know, we can't, we can't think logically when we're in a state of fear. And if you start fearing the unknown, then you are in a state of fear and you're not going to think logically. So focus on being present and open your eyes and look at what is. And if we look at what is, you know, we as a country, we can save ourselves because we need to do that. There's a lot of things happening right now that are, that are frankly, you know, scary. And, but I know that we as a country, I know that at some point, every, everybody, you know, people are waking up and people are seeing what's really going on and they're, they're starting to take action and they're starting to pull themselves out of this state of, out of this nonsensical state of fear. Um, you know, believing that the government is going to come up with all the answers. You know, we already have answers. We already have answers. We don't need the government for that. Um, somebody was asking a question, um, uh, doctors, what do you feel about positive COVID patients complaining of psychological and mental component? So first of all, let's talk about COVID positive patients. The testing is very skewed. And if you disagree with me on that, Dr. Eckel, or you want to add into that, let, you know, just go ahead and say it. But right now, the testing is very skewed. Um, first of all, 
you know, people that are dying and coming into the hospital. And if you have, if you guys haven't seen this, go online. It's all over the news. You can find it. It's fact. The, the doctors have been told, I believe by the CDC, to start marking everything as COVID cases. I mean, so they're marking it without empirical evidence. Second, secondly, these testing are not accurate. They're not they're testing for a multitude of different coronaviruses. And so, you know, there's a lot of questions going on, but, um, but, but with people being, with people starting to complain about psychological and the mental component as the cascade of symptoms, I believe that that's all rooted in fear. I believe that a lot of the reasons why some of these, some of these people, a percentage of them are coming down with symptoms is because of the sheer fear that they're under and it's completely shutting down their immune system and causing a big cascade of a, you know, of a negative um, inflammatory response in their body. What are your thoughts on that? I would, I would agree with that on the mental component because what has happened is we've been entranced by the media of this is what it looks like and because if you get COVID, you're going to die. Like That's basically the bottom line. So of course, people freak out when they get a COVID positive test because they've seen the worst case outcome is, oh, I'm going to die now. We don't have enough ventilators, which isn't even the right treatment for these folks, right? So it's all, it's all been skewed and you know, propagated through the airwaves. So one, one big thing that I encourage folks is to, you know, get off of the sensationalist news, like basically the mainstream media channels, like you can tune into your health department, into the CDC, World Health Organization, just for the facts, right? They're, Cause they're not putting, you know, I knew early on, I, I did a podcast called the sane approach to coronavirus right at the beginning, because what I went on, I went on and I watched this Washington post, uh, breaking news, right? And five minutes, they had ominous music. They had a bunch of Asians with masks on and then, you know, basically body pile at the end. They said absolutely nothing, but I watched it. I thought, Oh, we're going to all die. Like after that was the, the basic message of the media. It was like, no, 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 wait a minute. I, you know, one of the beauties of this is I've had, you know, firsthand contact with my mentors in Chinese herbal medicine, went into Wuhan, treated thousands of patients with Chinese herbs and acupuncture. So I've got all of his download and his notes. I have another colleague from Northern Italy. I went to medical school with her. I got all of her notes. So I have firsthand accounts of how this thing plays out. So on the on the mental emotional front, I do believe it is, as you're saying, it's a fear based component of what has kind of been programmed in. Then I want to go back to the testing because it is so convoluted. Um, this PCR testing is very sensitive DNA testing. When you're talking about viruses that are replicating in the rate of this uh, coronavirus or COVID-19, it's it should be very easy to create an antibody test. Like that's the, the agreed upon measurement. So there's a lot of false positives, a lot of false negatives. And like you're saying early on, it was just suspected. They weren't even testing people. You know, early on, I stopped looking at it because I was so just disgusted of like, oh, this math, how are they're making major decisions for the planet on numbers that are made up. They're totally made up. And, you know, and I think we'll see some of that coming out when you look at the death rate versus, you know, testing and it, hopefully we'll get some semblance. But again, I just caution folks for 
you know, what's the number? It doesn't mean we want you to be the N of one. You are your own cure. Uh, and so, you know, there is IgM testing, IgE testing, the PCR testing, which is the, you know, in the United States of so what we're doing there. But again, it's not exact. The, early on, we didn't have enough tests. So we're never gonna know what that percentage number is. And the suspicion is, is it's very low when you really look at it, um, so. Yeah, um, we've got another question coming in um, that uh, I'd love to get your input on this. Um, my mother had early onset of Alzheimer's disease at 59. And my siblings and I realized we need to take an active approach to keep our brains healthy. What is your opinion of the most important measures to take specifically for avoiding the same fate? Ooh, big one, uh, big one. So one, you know, I think you can get your genes tested. The ApoE4 gene is a great start just to give you percentages. Now your genes aren't your destiny, right? The genes load the gun, the environment pulls the trigger. So, you know, look, that runs in the family. This is very similar to my family. I have some cousins that uh, basically all of their elders had early onset uh, Alzheimer's, Louis de body dementias, etc. And you look at, okay, well, let's get in a functional approach. How do we optimize your body's ability to heal? How do you, how do we have you thrive, right? I'd love to be the picture of thriving to lead the way for folks and age backwards. Well, how do you do that? I mean, it's, it's not sexy. It's just the basics. It's the foundational stuff that we talk about. You know, it's, you know, what is in your home environment? What's the air like there? What's the water you're drinking? Are you drinking filtered water? Do you have a private well? Is it been tested, right? So water filtration, air filtration, you know, getting your environment, you're not, you know, putting new paint on that's off gassing the volatile organic compounds, the high VOC paint, things like that. So you start at your home. Then what are you putting down the tube? How, what's your diet? You definitely better be eating organics. This is the pay now or pay later. The organics, you know, after talking with Jeffrey Smith and Stephanie Senoff on the glyphosate and uh, Roundup issues of pesticides in our foods, organics are a must for your body to function well. Then you look at well, what are the macros of what you're eating, making sure you get your essential fatty acids, essential amino acids, and that your sugars are balanced. So you don't want your sugars to be way out of whack because Alzheimer's has been called type three diabetes, right? As one of those five subsets that Dale Bredesen has put forth in his Alzheimer's cure book, um, imbalanced sugars is a big one. Then you look at your sleep. How is your sleep? Are you getting adequate rest? Because that's when your brain detoxes. You gotta get into that deep sleep. You can measure, I wear an aura ring. You know, there's all kinds of devices. You can do it however you like, but I do think measuring it because it helps get some, some more, um, more data to help you on that front to make sure, you know, if you're concerned about this, you want some certainty to know you're doing everything you can. Yeah. Uh, exercise is another one. I mean, you know, those foundational stuff of like circulation, moving your body. And then if you need, then you get on some extra supplementation or herbal support to help prevent that as well. And, you know, there is a lot of stuff that you can put in right now. You know, they're showing with Alzheimer's 20 years prior, there were some early symptoms of it developing. So, you know, you're saying 59 there. So at 39, you know, if you're older than 39, then you're a little bit behind the curve doesn't mean you can't do anything about it, but it just means like now more than ever. 
<laughs> Those, that's what I want people to get from this discussion today. Now more than ever, it's time to take control of your health. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, people should pay attention to their symptoms because, you know, any chronic disease ultimately starts 20 to 30 years before you end up being diagnosed with the, with the disease itself. And so, you know, pay attention to things like mental fatigue, even physical fatigue. Um, how about brain fog? How about like your brain, it's just not firing as fast. Like you, you're starting to like forget little things like where did I leave my keys? Or what did I eat for breakfast this morning? And you're thinking, oh, that's normal, I'm almost 40. No, that is not normal. That started happening to me in my, in my what, in my late 20s, early 30s. And I just thought it was just stress from being a single mom and trying to manage all this stuff. But your body, it, it gives you signals, it talks to you, listen to it, you know, like your body's telling you something, listen to it. And so, you know, I totally agree with you. All of these things are super important. And if you want to really dial in on your specific operations manual, you can look at a lot of other genes too, so that you can know for you specifically, what types of foods are going to benefit you the most? What type of healthy foods are going to benefit you the most? And which healthy foods might not be the best for you? Um, you can dial in on your exercise genetics, your sleep genetics, your hormone genetics, your detoxification genetics, your food genetics, your supplementation genetics. You can actually look and you can see what you can change in your environment and with your lifestyle choices so that you can optimize yourself. Because, you know, the best prevention is, is, is exactly that, you know, it's just like being active in taking, taking action early because, you know, once you have Swiss cheese brain, you know, we have seen that in many cases you actually can reverse the damage. You don't want to go down that route. You want to start taking care of stuff now. Um, here's another really, really good one. Somebody's asking, and, and we've had a ton of people asking us this in emails too. And even in, even in uh, texts, um, on social media. Do you think everyone will be forced to take the vaccine when it's developed? I've got some things to say on that, but I'm going to let you go for it. <laughs> and then we can well, go you know, them. we're living in interesting times, right? Yeah. Um, I try not to future trip on that one in particular. I don't see how that will ever fly in this country. Um, and I think that they are seriously discussing this. And I think it's criminal uh, to have forced vaccination of anything. That is not medical freedom. That is not a free society. Um, for how much safety, perceived safety, do we want to give up, right? I mean, we saw this after 9-11 with certain um, privacy measures that people said, okay, I guess we're willing to give that over now. Um, and I think a lot of people don't understand what has really happened in eroding of our rights in this country. So I think it's a, it's a concern. It's a concern of mine. It's a concern of the integrative medical community. It's a concern of people that have any ethics uh, because, you know, the basis of informed consent, which is in the medical community, that's not occurring with a forced mandatory vaccine. So I think there are a lot of angles that we can come at that. Um, I'm sure there are proponents for safety reasons. I mean, you hear Bill Gates talking about it of, you know, because he owns the vaccine. I don't think it makes anybody any safer. Uh, and in fact, it, because we have fuzzy math, we're building it on quicksand. So, 
you know, I, I'd love to see the discussion be around how do we raise the vitality of everybody? Because the vaccine is not going to save us, folks. It just isn't. They haven't saved us to this point in time. This one is no different. In fact, we have no research on a vaccine at this point. So to rush one to market and then make everybody get it seems criminal in my book. Yeah, well, and um, it doesn't just seem criminal in my eyes. Um, it is criminal. Yeah. You know, just go back and read the Constitution, guys. I mean, we all read it as kids. I have actually read it like five times in the last couple of weeks, going back and reading different articles in the Constitution, different sections of it. You know, we are very lucky in this country. And let's not forget that this is governed by the people, not by the people that are sitting up there right now in government. We ultimately make the decision. Don't, don't disempower yourself by forgetting what our constitutional rights are. Yes, and one word on that, what we're actually doing in Oregon right now, there was a, a band of citizens created a Facebook group on we're, we're evaluating every candidate up for election and grilling them on this question. And I really encourage folks to get active and do that because we have an election cycle this year and it does matter. Your vote does matter in this and grill your legislatures, call them and say, where do you stand on this issue and voice your concerns because I think we do need to get ahead of it and you got to play in the system. So uh, get out there, get and have your voices heard because your voice does matter. You do matter and you have that much control. A lot of the, the institution wants to say, uh, your vote doesn't count and you don't matter. So it's all going to happen with or without you. And that's not true. That is not our society. That's not what I, where that's not the reality I'm living in. So right now is the time I know it feels a little overwhelming to, well, geez, doc, I'm going to add that to my list, but no, this is an important issue for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And what is that Facebook group so that uh, we can put that into the chat? Oh, the Facebook group. Ah, I, I didn't know you would ask me that. I don't have that off the top. That one is just in Oregon. Um, that's an Oregon concerned citizen. So there is, you know, during the, um, you know, the last push for vaccination, uh, forced vaccination, um, Oregon really mobilized around that. And um, I'm going to blank on their names now, but I can get them to you after the show and then you can post them up here. Yeah, well, and you know, it, it might encourage other people in other states who are listening to maybe form their own. You know, this is the thing, guys. Not, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not pro-vaccine, and I'm not anti-vaccine. All right, like vaccines have done in the in the past, they have done some good, um, and uh, and 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 I'm not going to get into that debate. But forcing them on people that is against our constitutional rights. That is against our constitutional rights. So I respect you whether you are an anti-vaxxer or whether you're a pro-vaxxer or whether you're somewhere in the middle. It doesn't matter to me. I love you and I respect you either way. But we have to remember what our constitutional rights are. And we can't yeah. be... And I would agree with you, you know, as a physician where I actually did deliver vaccines to children that caused harm, the first tenet of medicine is do no harm. I am, I guess, in the, um, I guess people would say that I am an anti-vaxxer because I'm into personal choice. Um, I, you know, I'm not against vaccines by any means. However, I don't think it should, be, it's a very private decision for what you do and what your family does. And I'm all for that informed consent. And so, you know, there's no, 
no rhyme or reason to force vaccination on people to say we know better than the individual. I think that that is criminal activity. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm looking here to see if we've got as any other questions here. Um, do you think using antibodies from those who have recovered will be helpful for the future? You know, I love, um, you know, so they've done longevity research on mice uh, that were aged and they took young mice blood and put it into the aged mice and they showed the aged mice actually their age reversed backwards. So it's a little bit of vampire technology. Uh, however, you know, what travels in our blood are the antibodies that might be a very useful solution for people. I don't necessarily think that we need to do that at this point in time. However, it is a novel approach for um, some new medications coming down the line. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? We've been getting a lot of questions about um, like, you know, the old um, version of chicken pox parties. Mm -hmm. We've been hearing a lot of people talk about that. I've even had some people asking me, you know, shouldn't we be, shouldn't we be just be out having, you know, running our normal lives, um, especially if we know that we don't have comorbidities and we're not having a lot of health problems. A lot of people are saying, you know, just expose me to it already and let's get it over with. What are your <laughs> thoughts on this, uh, you know, on what we call natural or herd immunity and acquiring it by just getting back to our daily lives and being around each other? Well, I mean, we see that happening in Iceland and Sweden. They have done nothing. They've they did not do the social isolation. Their bars and restaurants are still very full. Um, you know, I'm not going to advocate one way or the other. I mean, because, you know, if you get sick, you don't know, is it going to go bad or not? I mean, there's no guarantee, even with a robust immune system, right? I mean, it is an illness. So you got to play your odds. Um, I don't have enough data on this one to, to say like, oh, it's just like chicken pox. So if I had more information, maybe I'd be a little bit more stronger advocate for that. Um, I think personally, I have enough resources that I, I am not afraid of getting the, the virus. Um, so, uh, you know, know your situation. Um, I wouldn't willy nilly recommend like, oh, you, you know, your neighbor has it, you should go over there and get it. Um, however, I think for herd immunity to occur um, and what we're seeing, I mean, I honestly, I'm testing myself this, uh, this week. I got the new test, the finger stick for IgM, IgE testing, because I actually think I had this in January. I was sick this year for a month. Um, my partner, she just says, you're crazy. You didn't have it. I said, I don't know. I think I may have even treated people. But now it could have been influenza A, could have been influenza B. But I, I do not get sick for a month. And I had kind of the dry cough that I had all of the symptoms that they're talking about. So I'm excited. I, I get those kits are coming in this week and I get to test myself to see, yeah. well, maybe I have that natural immunity. And I think, you know, some of my colleagues now on the West Coast are saying, hey, I think we have seen this since November in the West Coast, um, but we weren't testing for it. So until the antibody test is developed and okayed by the FDA, we will never know. But you can. You know, you can test IgG immunoglobulins for past infections. And so that at that point, then I think we will have more data to say, well, how widespread is this thing and how many people actually did have it and not even know it? Yeah, exactly. Is there, is there a particular uh, test 
um, lab that you're using for that? Uh, I'm getting these through Ray Biotech, Ray Biotech um, out of Atlanta, Georgia. It is not an FDA approved test, so I'm just using it for research purposes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just asking because, uh, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure I had this back in November, and for me, it lasted about six weeks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, man, you know, I just had a, I had a hard time breathing and I was exhausted every time I got up off the couch. And, and, uh, and of course, you know, why, why didn't I start my own protocol sooner? I go back and ask myself that, um, because once I started on my protocols for respiratory stuff, which included nebulizing silver and uh, H2O2 or, you know, 3% food grade hydrogen peroxide and, and, uh, started like mega, you know, mega dosing the vitamin D and A and C and stuff like that. This was before any of this COVID stuff ever came out. You know, it took me, it took me a while before I implemented my own protocols because I thought because I'm from Texas and I had moved to Denver, oh, maybe it's the altitude. But after being sick for a few weeks, I had to keep going back and forth and going, wait a minute. Like I spent the whole summer here and didn't have any problems. I had a higher altitude than this because I was up in the Rocky Mountains. Didn't have problems after like three or four days. Like I've been here for several months. Wait a minute, what am I thinking? You know, I was just thinking, oh, it's high altitude and, and it's winter time so the air is dry and I don't know, I must be just working too hard. But it was like after, after like three weeks of this, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what the heck is going on with me? This just something's not right. And I ended up doing my protocols and I was able to get, you know, to get over it. And I'm pretty sure that I had it. So I'll probably be doing one of the antibody tests myself. But we've got, um, uh, I've got a colleague of mine. Well, she's, she's, when I say colleague, she, she, she does some, she's not in the, she's not a functional doc. But um, I found out this morning that last night she almost went to the hospital. She's here in the Denver area. She almost went to the hospital because she couldn't breathe. And then she decided mm -hmm. against it because she knows that what they're doing over there, um, you know, putting people on the ventilator is actually making people worse. So she opted not to go, um, ended up getting a, a, a nebulizer and some silver from a friend of hers. And she's breathing better today. After we get off the call today, I'm heading over to her house. I'm not afraid of this craziness that everybody's afraid of and I'm going to go take her all the protocols that she needs so that we can get her past this very very quickly um so yeah yeah um guys is, are there any other questions that we have um what did you guys think about this today put put stuff up in the chat let us know what you thought um I would love to have you back to uh, hang out with us, Dr. Greg. I think that we could have some really candid conversation as we're going through this and just, um, you know, really just, you know, bring a lot of, uh, of, of good reason to people to, to, so that we can help them just banish their fear. And, you know, just like, just like Dr. Eckel said, guys, don't pay attention and don't inundate yourself with the sensationalized media because all you're going to get out of that is a depressed immune system. You're going to get yourself in the fight or flight response and you're not going to be able to think logically. And so we just have to, you know, we have to um, stay away from that. We've actually turned our television off. We haven't turned it on in at least two weeks now. So good. We're getting some awesome comments here. Thank you so much, guys. I'm glad that this is reassuring for you. Uh, keep tuning in every week because we're here for you. And um, Dr. Echo, can you share with us? I know that you have a podcast. And yeah. will you share with us your podcast so that people can tune into you as well? 
Yeah, sure. It is uh, what the health you can go. I'll pipe, I'll type it in the chat box here. It's uh, naturecuresclinic.com backslash podcast. Uh, it also from whatever, you know, media you use, it's what the health. Uh, and if you put in Eckle, what the health Eckle, <laughs> uh, but naturecuresclinic.com backslash podcast will get you there. I have a weekly podcast, a variety of topics with experts such as your lovely leader here. <laughs> ah, you're awesome. Yes. Thanks everybody for tuning in today and we will see you guys on Friday. Have a great day.